as we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. As we engage him through his word, he will engage us. Let's pray to that end this morning. Father, we come to you as we're about to get in your word, and there is some some very difficult and hard things to hear. And I know that many of us come here, probably all of us come here with a lot of stuff going on, a lot of issues, problems, pain, difficulties. And there is no way that we're going to be able to set that stuff aside. So we're not even going to try. We just ask that through our sin, our issues, our problems, our busyness, our distractedness, that somehow this morning, by your Spirit, you would speak to us through your Word and awaken us to hear in a way that we did not think was even possible before we came here this morning. To hear, the eyes see, their hearts, that the see you in all your glory and as you speak truth of who you are and who you're calling us to be. We ask this to this end. In Jesus' name, amen. This February, the men in our church are having a retreat, and this is a big deal because we have men's retreats once every 10 years. We haven't done one in 10 years. If you're here now, this is great timing for you. It'll be another 10 years before we do another one. And our speaker uh, this February is going to be a good friend of mine. Many of you know him. His name is Bob Foos. Uh, For those of you who were on Project in Ocean City, you may have known him over the years. He's a great, great brother in the Lord and a a great uh, speaker that's going to encourage the men in our church. And we are keeping it local in the Evanston area, and we're calling it Men Don't Retreat. Those are some scary guys. I do not want to go on a retreat with them, so we're staying here in the Evanston area, and it's a, it's a play on words, because not only are we staying here, we want to be men who do not retreat from life, and we're going to be hitting four specific areas that we don't want to be retreating from. Let me share these four with you. We want to be men who do not retreat from personal integrity or holiness, we be men who do not retreat from relationship responsibilities. Men who do not retreat from doing the hard work with our vocations or our majors. And we be men who do not retreat from taking gospel risks. At least that is the goal. The reality is quite different. Some of the men in here have basically given up on personal holiness as you're steeped in a life of sin. Some of the men in here have difficult relationships that they do not want to deal with, so they're avoiding them. Some of the men in here are trying to figure out what they are doing with their lives and their majors and their jobs, and they're sick of it, and they're giving up. And there's some men in here... God is calling you to take certain risks, and you keep saying no. The elders of the church have been sensing a crisis among the men in a variety of areas. And we say, look, this next year, we're going to start dealing with some things and encouraging the men, rebuking the men to step up 
and to stop pulling away and start engaging in life and dealing with important things. And the reality is, is that these are not just failures common to men, but they're also common to women as well. So if you find yourself retreating in life right now with some issues you need to deal with, here's what I'm hoping. That this morning, by God's grace, you will start to gain some traction to move forward. I'm not asking you to come and get everything figured out this morning. I'm asking you to start moving forward and to stop retreating. And hopefully, we'll get some of this traction as we turn back to the book of 1 Samuel. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And this chapter is filled with great contrast. It's the way it's set up. You'll see it. We're going to keep going back and forth. It's the story of a couple of Israel's leaders retreating, contrasted with the life of one advancing. Two of the active priests of this time were Hophni and Phinehas, and they were classified as worthless men. And they are going to be contrasted with Samuel, whom we are told continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. And as we go through this story this morning, I want you to examine your own life. Just to be totally honest, don't mess around. God sees in your life right now, is it characterized by one who is advancing in the ways of the Lord? You're not perfect, but you want to follow the Lord. Or is your life right now retreating? You're pulling back from the Lord. You're pulling back from your God-given responsibilities. Be thinking about what's going on in your own life. Well, let's go ahead and start with the contrast, and we're going to start with the bad news in verse 12. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Okay, let's be fair to Hophni and Phinehas. They were not retreating. They just flat out did not know the Lord. They were the priests. They were in charge. They taught the word of God. They conducted the rituals. But the word of God tells us they did not know the Lord. They knew the truth, but they did not know the Lord. Of course they knew the truth. They were the priests of the land. But they were worthless men, which was par for the course of this history in Israel as the nation has tanked and fallen away from the Lord. Let's look at the details. Verse 13. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would thrust it into the pan or kettle, or cauldron, or pot, all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Chances are, this morning, you did not bring in here a live animal. Perhaps you did. I cannot see it. But back then, the worshipers would bring a live animal. It would be sacrificed, and it would would be cooked 
and portions of it would go to the Lord, portions of it would go to the worshiper, and portions of it would go to the priest for provision for them to make a living. But what we have here is that Eli's sons are perverting the custom of the the priest as they would send their servant to do the dirty work. And this servant would come along and go fishing in the cauldron or the pot or the kettle or the pan, just in case you're wondering. And don't just think of a little kitchen fork going into a little bitty bowl. Think more of a a medium-sized three-pronged pitchfork diving into a big old pot. And whatever they came up with was their allotted portion. This was totally perverted. Like I said, they knew the truth, but they did not know the Lord. Let's look at the specifics of their perversion. Verse 15. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then you can take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Three portions. The meat is brought, portion that is burned up, the fat portion goes to the Lord, the priest would get a portion, and the worshiper would get a portion. But now the servant is is coming in, and he wants to take it all raw, including the fat portions. And if the worshiper said, no, 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 at least let the fat portion go to the Lord, then the the servant would get all gangster and say, no, I'm going to take it by force. And so the priest would send the servant and he would steal and he would pervert the sacrifices of the Lord. And we are told that this was very great in the sight of the Lord. They knew the truth but they did not know the Lord. Now, I have been here for many years, and I have met people who have attended church here that have known the truth, but they did not know the Lord. Perhaps they grew up in a Christian church, Christian tradition. Perhaps they knew doctrine. They knew the truth. They could tell you the truth, but they did not know the Lord. Their heart Their minds, their actions were not in it. They would profess to be a Christian, but you knew they weren't. No fruit in their lives. Now, I could give many examples, and they're not here right now. uh, So I'm going to give one specific example of a couple I can think of in particular where the wife knew the Lord, but the husband claimed that he did, but he clearly did not, not going to get into the reasons why, but it seemed as if this husband was coasting off the faith of his wife. So she says, I'm a Christian. He's like, whatever, I'm a Christian too. Yeah, sounds good. So he's coasting off of her. And, and one Sunday, during the height of one of the worship songs in our church, like right on cue, I was standing behind them. It's as if they coordinated 
their efforts and their spiritual lives were showing through at exactly the same time. So here it is. I'm standing behind them, minding my own business, right? Trying to worship the Lord, not being an inspector here. So I'm trying to mind my own business. And right on cue, high to the worship song, right in front of me, the woman's like raising her hands and praising God. And right on cue, exactly at the same time, the guy yawned as big as he could. Now, I'm not the yawn police. And I'm not saying just because you yawn in church, you don't know the Lord. But this guy's life was put on display in a miniature. Because he could tell you the truth, but he clearly did not know the Lord. And, and some of you may be right right there. And, and I'm not talking about those of you who are investigating. I'm not talking about those of you who are saying, you know, I do not follow the Lord. I'm just here. That, that, that we want you here. But I'm talking to those right now who claim to know the Lord, who claim to know truth, claim to be a Christian. But you know. You know you're just playing. You know the truth, but you do not know the Lord. That's where these priests are at. The spiritual leaders of the land, the preachers, they know the truth, but they don't know the Lord. We need a contrast. Give me a contrast. Give me somebody doing something good. So let's, let's look at the contrast that the Word of God is setting up here. Look at the contrast of one advancing. Verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the young man, Samuel, grew in the presence of the Lord. It's great to see Hannah back on the scene. Because last week we left her with her prayer where she was praying. that Remember this? God would bring the arrogant down and he would lift up the lowly. She was praying that God would flip the circumstances. And here we have God flipping the circumstances of the spiritual leaders of the land, Hophni and Phinehas, about to be brought low. And here is Hannah being brought up, being blessed not only with Samuel, but five more kids. So she shows up on the scene. She brings him his new robe as he's starting to grow. And we have Eli. And he's saying here that his, he knows his sons are perverted. But we have Samuel ministering before the Lord and growing in the presence of the Lord. I want to make sure that you really understand what's going on here. Because this Israel is so corrupt that you just don't think of it. It'd be like, it'd be like this. We have two apprentices in our church. Uh, they're, they're, they're training to be pastors, uh, Mitch and Chris. And if we want to stick with the analogy here, they are like Samuel. They're in training, and they're growing in the Lord. And if you stick with analogy, I am like the bad priest, and I am retreating and falling back. You get that? I don't know. That you get, that's what's going on here. The whole spiritual leaders of the land, young Samuel advancing, the priests that are in charge, well, they're retreating and about to be brought low. 
Let's continue on. Back to the foolishness of the priests. Look at verse 22. Now Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So word gets back to old Eli that not only are his sons treating the offering of the Lord with contempt, but they are indulging in sexual immorality with the women workers. I don't think these women are, are, are temple prostitutes or anything like that. I just think they are workers in the temple of the Lord, and these priests are taking advantage of them and sexually abusing them. Uh, sexual abuse is, is nothing new today. It's been going on in the history of, uh, of religion. Uh, just just think about uh, in the last two weeks, there's a pastor down south who got up in front of his church and he confessed to the church that he had been immoral with some of the women in the church. And oh yeah, by the way, he also has AIDS. And so the church votes him out and he's like, I'm not going anywhere. And so they took him to court this past week and temporarily they have kicked him out and you think man that is ridiculous what great spiritual abuse in that church and we know spiritual abuse in the churches around the world it's nothing new and is rooted in a history of this horrific practice we see it even here in the book of samuel the priests are using their authority for illicit sexual gain, the most trusted leaders in the land are they're destroying the worship of God. They're destroying the people of God. This is a terrible crisis. So Eli confronts them. Look what dad says in verse 23. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons. It is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. It is God's will to kill them. They are so steeped in their sin and they have gone so far beyond repentance. It's like God has locked up their ears. He's hardened their hearts and they are doomed and they will not repent. God is going to kill them. And you kind of wonder, you go, well, well, would God ever do that today? Would someone ever retreat so far into their sin that that person would be unable to to repent? Well, based on 1 Samuel, it seems to be so. And we studied the book of Romans last year, and we talked about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, where he didn't repent either. And I, and I just wonder, I, I wonder what, with some of you, what you may be thinking. Maybe you're thinking that, that one day, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're thinking one day you'll repent and turn to the Lord once you, I don't know, once you're done with school. <laughs> or you repent and turn to the Lord once you get married and have the kids. Because doesn't everybody come back to church once you start having kids, right? Then, then you'll repent and come back to the Lord. And the most famous one is, no, no, I'm going to repent and come to the Lord on my deathbed. 
then I'm going to just, the last second, I'm going to repent, and then I'm going to come to the Lord, and I want to say to you, don't be so sure. Don't be so sure. You may get so locked into your sin and have your heart so hard that you will never repent. And right now, if that freaks you out, I have hope for you. If that bothers you, I have hope for you. Because Hophni, Phineas, not bothered at all. Because they're so locked in sin, they will not repent. Because it was God's will to kill them. Back to the contrast. Verse 26. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Did those words ring familiar to you? In the New Testament, they were said of Jesus. who was growing in stature and favor with the Lord and with man. Most of Israel is corrupt. The priests are corrupt. But we have here a young man growing in favor with the Lord and man. He is moving forward. You know what this is showing us? Do you, do you see what's going on here? God cares for his people. And if one generation and his certain leaders are not going to lead and love his people, then God is going to remove them and replace them with another leader, another generation to lead. Because God loves his people. God loves you. That he wants godly leaders to lead you. And if someone's going to be so corrupt and fall into sin and not have character, well, God will remove them. And God will replace them. And he'll raise up others to advance his kingdom and lead his people. And I believe the way God's working in the Old Testament, God's working in the New Testament, I believe as God is still working the same way today. I believe that in today, even today, God cares for his people. And he wants leaders with character, not perfection, but leaders with character to lead his people. And I believe that maybe not in his timing, but at the, just the right time, he's still going to remove leaders and replace them. And no leader is untouchable. This past week, one of the most famous pastors in America is no longer with his church due to character issues. I've learned a lot from this man. And you would think this guy is untouchable. He will be at this church, at this location, forever. But now he's gone, and eventually he'll be replaced. No one is untouchable. I'm not untouchable. No leader is untouchable. You know why? Because God loves his people. And he will remove the leader who is corrupt, and he'll put who he wants there because he loves his people. Let's watch it happen. Let's watch the prophecy. Don't lose me now. Stay engaged. This is the prophecy of what is going to happen to these leaders. It's not pretty. Verse 27. And there came a man of God, just some unknown prophet, to Eli and said to him, Thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt subject to the house of Pharaoh? Stick with me here. Don't lose me now. This is a reference to Aaron. Eli was a descendant of Aaron whom God chose to be priest over Israel. So the descendants of Aaron, they're going to function as the priest. You with me so far? 
Verse 28. Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. So here's the priests. The priests were to represent the people of Israel before God by making the appropriate sacrifices and carrying on their priestly duty. That's what priests do. Verse 29. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Yes, yes, that's the question. Why then? Why then do you do this, Eli? Why do you permit your sons to continue that perversion? Why are you doing this? Give us a little hint what's going on in your mind, Eli. These are your boys. They're after you, and they are perverting. They're perverting the sacrifice. Why are you doing this? And it seems the answer, I mean, stay with me. It seems like the answer is, is that Eli was fattening himself off their sin. We were told a little later in 1 Samuel that Eli was a very large man. And it seems as if that he was benefiting from his son's sin. So they would snag the big old hunk of meat, bring it home. And he's like, well, I don't know where that came from, but let's eat. And so as he goes to confront his sons, what is it? Talk, talk, talk. Why? Because they're not going to listen to dad because dad is participating in this with him because he's a large man and he is fattening himself, fattening himself off their sin. Your voice has very little credibility in rebuking others when you are steeped in the same sin. Did you hear that, parents? Your voice has very little credibility in rebuking others when you are steeped in sin as well. Let's look at his punishment. Look at his punishment, verse 30. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. (laughs) Eli is part of this this priesthood of Aaron. And the idea is he's supposed to just keep going. His descendants are supposed to keep going. They've been promised to be the priest forever. But now God's like saying, forget it. You're not going to honor me. I'm going to remove you. I am going to remove you, Eli. And I'm going to remove your descendants. Those who honor God, he will honor. Those who despise him will be shut down. I want you to watch the shutting down of Eli and his descendants. This is is brutal. Let's look at this. Verse 31. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from the altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. 
And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. This prophecy is going to be kicked off in chapter 4 as Hophni and Phinehas would die on the same day. And then you forward a little bit later in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and 22, Eli's extended family is massacred. And 85 priestly descendants are killed with only one dude left, Abithar. And the only reason he's left is to fulfill the prophecy to bawl his eyes out and to grieve. Do you see what's going on here? That God is, is not only shutting down, he is shutting down Eli and his descendants. He is done. He loves his people, but he's, that no one is beyond being touched. They are corrupt. They must go. But God's not going to leave his people hanging. He's going to raise up another. And one of the most interesting and exciting verses in this chapter is right here. And it's in verse 35. This is great. Look at verse 35. God raising up another. See if you can get your, your hands around this. This is a good one. Verse 35. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Who's this? Did you catch the words here? He's going to be faithful, this priest. Uh, that's going to, this is going to last forever. He's going to do what's in God's heart and God's mind. Who is this? Well, I don't know. Maybe you could for sure say, this is Samuel. Samuel's not only a prophet, but Samuel's a priest. And Samuel is going to be a faithful priest that leads the nation back to him. But if you go further in history, we also learn that this is fulfilled through another priest. And his name is Zadok. And Zadok is going to replace Abathur. And Zadok is going to serve faithfully. But this seems to indicate there is something going on with the priest and the words forever. Does that, anybody come into mind? <laughs> we have Jesus, who is a prophet. We have Jesus, who is referred to as a king. But did you know that Jesus is also referred to as a priest? Yeah, for real. And when Jesus shows up, we are told in the New Testament that this priest is not here to steal things from you. He's not here to take things from you. He's actually here to give you something. He's not here to corrupt the worship. He's not here to corrupt the sacrifices. He's actually here to bring a sacrifice. We are told in the New Testament that he's merciful. And he's a faithful high priest in service to God. And we're also told that he is the one who made propitiation for the sins of the people. And if you want to know what that means, is that Jesus didn't show up before God and say, here's my little animal sacrifice. Jesus showed up before the Father as the sacrifice. He was the lamb that was slaughtered for the sins of the world. And it's this faithful priest, we are told, who was holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. It is this priest, we are told, that did not retreat from sin. He did not retreat from death. He did not retreat from Satan. He did not retreat from bearing the wrath of God. We are told that this priest went right on the cross, bore the wrath of God, 
buried, and this priest rose again. And now we are told this priest is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And it's this priest who brings us to the very presence of God through faith. Who's going to lead the people of God? Corrupt priests like Hophni, Phineas? No. Fallen priests like Samuel, Zadok? Ultimately, no. We have our final priest who's come on the scene. And we are told about this priest. He's leading his people called the church. And they are not going backwards. They are going forward. In fact, we're told in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ forward, no retreat. And if you're a believer and you're caught up in this priest, you're moving forward. You're going forward. Man, I wish we could end right there. That's a good word. I love that verse in Samuel. But there's another one left. Verse 36. I'm sorry to end on a downer. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. What is going on here? And this is the way that Eli's descendants end up. And it's so fitting. Remember, they once used to gorge themselves instead of serving God. And now they're begging, please let me serve God so I can eat. God doesn't mess around. Those who honor God will be used by him, but those who fail to honor him will be shut down. God will remove, God will replace them with other servants. And the same God rules today. God is leading his people, building his church, and he wants to use you in here. He wants to use you to make disciples. He wants to use you to evangelize others. He wants to use your hands and feet to be servants to those who are suffering. God wants to use you to play your part in his church with your gifts as his kingdom advances. But if you are distracted, and if you're all focused on yourself, absorbed mission turned in on yourself, if you're caught up in sin and you don't want to have anything to do with God, well, God doesn't mess around because he's going to love and lead his people. He's like, all right, I'm going to remove you and I'm going to replace you. And perhaps he's just setting you aside for a season, maybe. But he's going to get his work done through his servants. And that's either going to be you or that's going to be someone else. And so if you've found yourself in a season in your life where you have been retreating, you have been pulling back, you've been involved in a lot of foolishness, I want to say to you, now is the time to make a comeback. Now's the time for a comeback. If you've been retreating and pulling away, it's time to, let's, let's go this way now. Now is the time for a comeback. And there's grace, there's forgiveness through our priest Jesus who forgives us. He'll offer you forgiveness and allow you to turn around and hope to move forward. So let's, let me just put these four ways that we typically retreat. And I want you to pick one, all right? Let's be honest. For those of you who've been retreating from personal holiness and integrity, you're, you're, you're stuck in some addiction or something. 
and you're, you've been pulling you, you don't want to deal with it. Maybe you're waiting for Christmas break to deal with it because you have some more time. Don't wait for Christmas break. I guarantee you, you won't deal with it then. Deal with it now. Now's the time to confess, receive forgiveness. And those of you who have been avoiding that difficult relationship, not wanting to deal with that pain, as far as it depends upon you, how about you just start addressing it? Start moving toward that difficult relationship, loving them, engaging them. And for those of you in here who have given up on your vocation, on your major, you're so disillusioned that you've shut down, don't shut down. You can still have a way forward in your vocation and your major. Don't shut down. And for those of you who have been avoiding gospel risk, you love the comforts of your space. You don't want to step out. You know God's calling you to step out, but you keep pulling away. Today's the day to step out. And those of you who don't know the Lord, you know, you know God's trying to get your attention. You've been retreating from his salvation call. You know he's speaking to you right now, trying to get your attention. And you keep saying, no, no, no. Today is the day to say, okay, no more. No more retreating from the salvation call of God. Today is the day to turn from your sins. Put your faith in Jesus, the priest who forgives, the priest who's not here to steal from you, not here to ruin your life, the priest who's here to forgive you. No more pulling away. Today is the day to put your faith in this loving priest can forgive you, give you access to the Father. So as you draw near to the Father through Him, the Father will draw near to you. Today is a day to no longer retreat, but to move forward. Let's pray. Lord, will you please forgive us for the ways that we have ignored your call on our life? put off holiness. We put off dealing with character issues and pride. We've not dealt with relationship issues we know we need to deal with. We've not asked for forgiveness without accusing someone else. We've not been broken before others. Lord, some of us have been so despondent pulling away from our responsibilities because we hate our majors. We hate our work, and so we have given up. There's some of us, Lord, we've retreated from gospel risk, from sharing Jesus, from stepping out and serving, because we just love comfort. Lord, may our retreating ways end today. May we find forgiveness in Christ, and may we continue to be caught up in Him and His church that is advancing and moving forward, not shying away from those things which are difficult finding your grace and your power to change not into perfection on this life but change and be progressively changed more and more into your image may you call us out from our retreating ways and may we be caught up in you and start to advance today all for the glory of the Father in Jesus name Amen